Thanks to Greg and Vicki for doing our Old Testament lessons, Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 to 15, Isaiah 30, 15 to 21, and 58, 13 to 14. And I want to read for us Mark chapter 2 and then our passage for the whole series from Matthew chapter 11. So first, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And then our passage for the entire series, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. And as usual, let me invite you to close your eyes and maybe even put the palms of your hand up on your lap to really let these words wash over your spirit as I read them slowly. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John Mark Comer observes something fascinating about Olympic athletes. Diet and nutrition are absolutely crucial Every elite athlete submits to a dietary program guided by a professional nutritionist. Training is obviously indispensable. Every Olympic athlete is engaged in continuous improvement with expert coaches. And the most elite level of athletics, every athlete has access to the same level of nutrition and the same expertise in coaching and really trains for the same amount of time. Nobody has an advantage at the most elite levels. So what separates then elite competitors from actual champions? The answer is rest. Who rests better? Is that surprising to you? I'm not sure why it should surprise us. Rest is an absolute necessity, of course. It's not a nice perk. You will die if you don't sleep. But you will also forfeit your chances to be the most fully human version of yourself if you don't take rest seriously. In fact, you can't be a disciple of Jesus, somebody who's learning how to live an abundant life in Christ without being an elite level rester. Jesus invites lost and rushed and weary human beings to come to him. 
But he says, if you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. If you won't rest, you can't be my disciple. I can't make a new creation, a new humanity out of you. If you're not going to submit to a discipline of rest. Let me show you today from the Bible three things about Sabbath from these passages we've read. In fact, this indispensable discipline of discipleship, Sabbath. What are these three things? Sabbath is here to stay. Sabbath is here to save. Sabbath is here to serve. Here to stay, here to save, here to serve. So first, Sabbath is here to stay. Now, on the very first pages of the Bible, we read that the need for rest was embedded in creation itself. Even God doesn't work all night. The creator quits at the end of each day, admires his work, and then God enters into the discipline, if you will, of Sabbath. God rests on the seventh day. Sabbath rest, therefore, is not part of fallen, sinful creation. It's not where it originates. Because God did it. Because work and rest are not part of fallen and sinful reality. They're part of the perfect and good world that God made. And of course, God Sabbaths. And so Adam and Eve Sabbath made in God's image. Then when God gives the moral law in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, and then as Vicki and Greg read for us, Deuteronomy 5, uh, Sabbath is reinstituted. So now Sabbath distinguishes the free people of God from the slaves of Pharaoh. As slaves, they had been forced to go against the grain of the universe, working seven days a week in Egypt. But in God's country, into which now they're coming, they're finally getting back with the flow of things. And that means that Sabbath is not national. Okay, Israel practiced Sabbath when everybody else didn't, but it's not fundamentally national. It's natural. It's not just for Israel in Israel, because after all, look who else has to, or we might say gets to practice Sabbath in God's country. Migrant workers, foreigners, servants, even the animals get to enter into Sabbath rest on the seventh day. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, no problem. I have a day off from work. I have two days off from work, in fact. Well, Eugene Peterson, who was a hero of both Sam's and mine, and who was more careful with words than per perhaps anybody that I have ever known, he nevertheless called a day off a bastard Sabbath. <laughs> We use our day off to do what? To do the work outside of our paid work. The work we haven't been able to do because we've been working. And then by the time we go back to work, we need a day off from our day off. And the Bible knows that that's not how nature works. The Bible knows that we need rest. And so the disciples enter into a rest the Sabbath rest, the discipline of Sabbath was started by God, but also Sabbath is here to stay in Christ. Jesus does not overthrow the Sabbath with the rest of the law, but practices it, doesn't abolish it, but fulfills it. 
And Jesus practices Sabbath better than the most legalistic of Pharisees who are always criticizing how he practices it. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And so that means that if we're going to call Jesus Lord and follow him, then we're going to have to admit that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to have to enter with his disciples into Jesus' own disciplines of rest alongside of him. So Sabbath is here to stay. I believe that we will work six days and rest one day in the new creation, in the new heavens and new earth. Why wouldn't we? God did it. Adam and Eve did it in paradise. Israel did it when they were redeemed. Jesus did it when he came as the redeemer. Sabbath is here to stay. It's part of our humanity. It's part of creation. It'll be part of new creation. Okay, it gets better still. Hang on. Sabbath is not just here to stay. Sabbath is here to save. So in Deuteronomy, which we read earlier, who gives the command to keep the Sabbath to rest one day in seven? Well, it's the one who saved Israel from oppressive slavery. The Savior wants to make sure that there's real freedom in the promised land to which he's leading them to save Israel from seven-day slavish toil in this free land. After many years, of course, Israel had gotten itself into lots of trouble through its failure to follow the Lord's lead in the promised land. And so prophets came to them, testified to them. Isaiah comes to them, as we read, and says, here's what you need to do to be delivered from these problems that really you've made for yourself. What does he say in Isaiah 30? Repentance and rest, that will save you. You see, when we get into trouble, what's our instinct? It's to outrun our trouble. Maybe we fight, but usually we flee. We just want to beat our troubles by outrunning them. Isaiah 30, 15 and 16 says, look, trouble is coming after you. I know your instinct is to get really fast horses and get on them and flee as fast as you can. But I'm telling you, you actually need to do the opposite. Don't flee. Don't fight. But instead, retreat through repentance into the walls of God's saving and safe fortress. And when you're there, rest. Rest in him. Sabbath was around before we needed salvation, but the discipline of Sabbath itself actually gives us a weekly reminder of how we are saved. Instead of doing, we rest. Instead of fleeing, we find his fortress. Instead of earning, we receive. Instead of working, we're graced. Instead of measuring up, we are given Jesus's own measure of righteousness as our own. But Sabbath is not just here to show you each week how you were saved. Sabbath is actually here to save you today. Because after all, the consequence of not retreating into the rest of Sabbath can be catastrophic. If you won't Sabbath and hide yourself in the fortress of the Lord's presence, but instead you choose to flee, to keep going, to keep trying to run faster than your deadlines and your troubles, then those deadlines and troubles will catch you sooner or later. Wayne Muller has a book on the Sabbath, and he says it like this. 
If we don't allow for a rhythm of rest in our over-busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath, or pneumonia, or cancer, or heart attacks. Our accidents create Sabbath for us. Sabbath is a discipline, but it's also a saving grace. God longs, as Isaiah says, to be gracious to you. Jesus is your great teacher. And Isaiah 30, 21, your teacher, the Lord Jesus, comes up beside and behind you and whispers into your ear, this is the way, this is the way, walk in my way. So Sabbath is here to stay, Sabbath is here to save, and then finally Sabbath is here to serve. John Ortberg has a book on the disciplines of discipleship. It has a great title, The Life You've Always Wanted. See what he's saying there? Disciplines take work. You have to change your life, no doubt about it. But the point of the disciplines of discipleship is to allow you to enter into abundant life, the life that you really want deep down. So Sabbath is not just here to stay and here to save, but it's here to serve. It's given and practiced that you might have delight. That's right. Pleasure. God wants you to honor him by the practice of Sabbath keeping, for sure. But God gives you Sabbath. Why? For your delight. Sabbath is here to serve you. By giving up, Isaiah says, doing what you please and idle words, these things that you don't really want anyway, you're invited instead to find real joy and pleasure in rest with God. Jesus says, Mark 2, that you weren't created to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve you. Sabbath is a gift of God given to us in creation. And then Jesus, Lord of all creation, ruling and reigning in his resurrection glory, re-gifts Sabbath to us. Our family in the evenings is reading through the book of Hebrews. And we're finding that the book of Hebrews is really kind of about how nobody, not Adam or Moses, not the sacrificial system and the priests, not angels, nobody could open the way for us to truly enter into God's rest, to experience the shalom of a flourishing, flowing with milk and honey kind of life and land, where you can actually enjoy the fruits of your labor and rest in God's goodness. Nobody seems to be able to lead humanity into that experience, no matter how heroic they were. Nobody until Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, everything changes. In Jesus Christ, we finally enter into Sabbath rest. For real. See, Sabbath is a 24-hour day of rest once per week. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. Because of the work of Jesus, our hearts and souls and bodies can finally be free to rest from all our strivings and to settle into an intimate relationship with God. 
And once we're delighted in and resting in God, then wouldn't you know it, we can finally begin to treat our relationships with other people in a way that's not merely transactional. We're not just striving to get the most out of people at the lowest possible cost to ourselves. Our Sabbathing is good for our neighbors, it turns out. Because Jesus died and spent the Sabbath dead, lying in the tomb alone. In other words, because he gave up the delights of Sabbath rest on that day and tasted death instead. We can spend six days alive in Christ, working out of his energy given to us, and we can spend one day alive in Christ, resting at his feet in full Christian confidence. Confidence that the one who defeated death and the grave can handle running the universe without us for one whole day. Hard to believe, huh? Pete Scazzaro says, few of us would give ourselves a no obligation day very often, but God gives you one every seventh day. John Mark Comer says that the Sabbath is by far his favorite day of the week. Sam Jorphy, your associate pastor, says that after entering into the discipline of Sabbath several years ago, he can't ever imagine his life without it. I feel the same way. Francine Clagsburn says simply, the Sabbath is a miracle. Do you believe in miracles? Could you dare to believe in the miracle of a day when you have no demands on you? A day when you don't have to do anything, but rather you get to do what delights you? I think some Christians have an easier time believing that Jesus rose from the dead after his Sabbath day in the tomb than they do believing that they've been given the gift of a full day of rest and gladness. It's easier for us to believe that our sins have been forgiven than it is for us to believe that God, who did not withhold his precious son from us, but gave him up for us all, has also with him given us all good things. Things like a whole day in which we get to cease from our strivings and simply settle into his love. Catch the language that I'm using here. Get to. Get to. Sabbath, like all the other disciplines of discipleship, are in many ways simply non-negotiable. You can't follow Jesus without some silence and solitude and simplicity and Sabbath. You have to do these things. But once you enter into the disciplines of discipleship, once you submit to the creation call to Sabbath, and you let it save you from anxious striving and serve you with pleasures that are unimaginable to you right now, sooner or later, you'll start saying not have to, but get to. You get to be a disciple of Jesus called and his own by pure grace, strengthened by simple, hard at first disciplines, and matured and perfected as all of these have-tos 
turn into get-tos, the more that we settle deep into our identities in Jesus Christ. I say it all the time, like a broken record, but isn't it the most marvelous thing to be a Christian believer? Isn't it wonderful to be the called disciple of Jesus? Now, if we're honest, discipleship, most of us have barely even tried it. And yet there are delights awaiting us as we draw near to Christ. So let's make a fresh start, shall we? Starting with the delightful discipline of Sabbath. I'm not so much calling you to do something new as to take something away that you don't really want anyway. Rush and hurry and worry. And for a whole day to sense what it's like to be saved and delighted in by your Savior. Father, give us the pleasure of entering into Sabbath rest with our Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.